welcome to the Diversity Gap Academy, where good intentions meet true cultural change. My name is Bethany Wilkinson, and I am your host. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of the Diversity Gap Academy. Today, we are kicking off a new series on race, which might become a series on race and racism. We'll see. But for now, this is a new series on race. Now, I went back and forth on this because talking about race directly seems trivial sometimes, almost like it's too small and too specific. But I'm learning that if we aspire to be effective agents of change and leaders in our organizations, then we have to understand the dynamics of the identities and identifications that we are working with. And so while race might seem so small and so specific, it's also a really big deal, especially because we talk about it directly and indirectly all the time. When I talk to clients about potential workshops and training experiences we can do together, I'm often met with the question, Bethany, is your work focused on race or do you have content around LGBTQ inclusion, gender inclusion, and other aspects of diversity as well? And I appreciate this question because it speaks to intersectionality and the ways that our identities are actually really complex and layered and multifaceted and all of these great things. And because I appreciate the question for a long time, I felt inadequate saying, hey, you know, race is really my focus. Like it seemed too limited. But here's again what I've learned. If an organization can make progress towards increased racial inclusion, then they have the skills to make progress in other areas of inclusion as well. If you can make progress related to racial diversity, racial inclusion, and racial equity, you have what it takes to make progress in these other areas. So many of the skills, the questions, the perspectives required to shift your culture towards increased racial diversity will apply and do apply to these other aspects of diversity. So for this first episode, the question is simple. What is race? What is it? What are we even talking about? We talk about it all the time. We refer to it regularly. And so in response to that question, I'm going to walk through a few points that I keep in mind when it comes to understanding race and how it's happening in any given room. I hope these points are simple and helpful to you as well. I also hope that they inspire some new thinking and conversations for you and your community. Point number one. Race is a social construction. Other ways people say it is that race is a social construct. So race is a social construction. This means as social beings, we created race. Well, maybe not me and you because, you know, it's 2021. But maybe me and you because race has been created and we recreate race. We redefine it all the time. In different societies throughout history and in different cultures across the globe, racial categories carried different meanings and had different markers. For example, my husband and I have been binging Outlander on Netflix. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but overview is that Outlander is the story of an English woman who travels through time from the 1940s back to the 1740s and is navigating the social and political climate of Scotland at that time back in the 1740s. 
Without giving too much away, one of the interesting observations I've made in watching this is how, based on nationality and language, the Scots were viewed as lower on the racial hierarchy than the British, at least in the minds of the Brits anyway. So you have these clans and groups of people who we would all, that we now would say, oh, you're all white, you're all European. But in practice, there was a racial caste system at play based largely on nationality, language, customs, cultural practices, and priorities, and of course on history. So that's an example from, you know, the 1740s, the 18th century. But in modern society, especially in the United States, race is constructed based on a different set of characteristics. Professor of higher education at Boston College, Kristen Wren, says it this way, race is a social construction based on physical appearance, skin color, hair color, and texture, facial features. It's based on ancestry, nationality, and culture. So that's how Kristen Wren says it. In our society, race has a lot to do with how you look and with how other people perceive and identify you based on the markers described above. Now, point number two, race is not only about identification and about how other people identify you based on our social constructs. In modern society, race is also about identity. It's about who we internally believe and know ourselves to be. So there's the identification, the external assignment to a racial category, and then there's identity, which is an individual's internal process and response to external influences. This makes race about so much more than who someone says we are. It's about our sense of self. It's about our understanding of the communities that raise us and protect us and nurture who we are. As everyday people navigating the waters of a racialized society, we live in this paradox. Because race is socially constructed, we also know that race isn't a biological reality. There's actually more racial difference between people within the same racial category than there is between people of different racial categories. So we're not talking about biology here. But it's a paradox because even though in many ways race isn't real, Race is so real in its negative and positive social meanings and effects. So to recap, number one, race is a social construction. People made it up. Race is created and recreated as societies change. And point number two, race is about both how you are perceived and about how you perceive yourself. It is about identification and identity. I would also venture to say that race is about how you perceive others and what you believe to be true about people based on their appearance. Are they reliable, high-performing, trustworthy, or are they unreliable, lazy, untrustworthy? These are really important questions, especially throughout history. Specifically in U.S. history, lots of time and money has been spent to maintain racial categories for the advantage of some, a.k.a. white people in power, and to the disadvantage of others, a.k.a. people with less power. So we'll get into stereotypes in another lesson, but that's all I'll say on that for now. Point number three, race is unitary. Race is unitary. It's, it's one category. Because it's largely about perception, we struggle to hold space for people who don't fit into our neat little racial categories. The categories being black, white, indigenous, Asian, Latino. 
when people are multiracial or biracial or when people have an ethnicity or nationality we think doesn't align with their physical appearance, it catches us off guard. Now, psychologically, this makes some sense. Our brains are wired to create categories to save energy. But when we're talking about diversifying our organizations, one of the first muscles we have to build is resistance to the temptation to put people into boxes they don't identify with. Because again, we're talking identification and identity. I have gotten into the habit and practice of asking people, tell me, how do you identify racially or ethnically? And then I let them tell me the answer. Now, this can get complicated when we begin talking about systems like racism and white supremacy because I'm of the belief that regardless of how you personally identify, if you are of lighter skin in the U.S., you benefit from the privilege of that lighter skin. And if you are of a darker complexion, you are navigating a larger society where there are disadvantages to having darker skin. These are systemic realities due to history. My point is this, personal identity does not remove us from the effects of systemic racism, nor does your personal identity absolve you of the responsibility to address systemic racism. The systems are the water we're swimming in. Your personal racial identity is a lens through which you see, experience, and interpret that water, but you're still in the water. So number three, race is unitary, and we have to practice nuance and curiosity in order to better know and receive people for who they truly are. And lastly, number four, race is inherently hierarchical. Hierarchical, it's a funny word. Um, It's a ladder. Those at the top of the ladder are esteemed as more valuable, good, and worthy, while those lower on the ladder are esteemed as less valuable, less good, and less worthy. In returning to my example from Outlander, in the English imagination, which they went on to you know, enforce via colonization, exploitation, and brute force, the English were superior people in their imaginations, in their minds. Their language, their customs, perspectives, and more were believed to them to be the best, the most valuable, the most worthy. And so in comparison to the Scottish, the English sought to create and maintain a racial hierarchy in which the English were on top and the Scots were on bottom. Now, of course, the Scots didn't believe this. They didn't believe they were less valuable. So they pushed back, rebelled, and demonstrated tons of resistance. But race as a functioning social construction created a hierarchy that was then maintained through economics, through policies, through power, through colonization, brute force, exploitation, extraction, all of these really harmful things. Race functions similarly today. And again, it's paradoxical, right? Like I'm aware that I live in a society where whiteness is elevated above other racial categories and identifications. I'm also very proud of who I am and I don't believe my value is determined by the hierarchy that has been in place in U.S. society since its inception. And as I endeavor to be anti-racist in my actions, I'm effectively saying, hey, I see you racial hierarchy and the story you're telling is a lie. Like I see that. I can say that. I name that. Lastly, as a person in pursuit of liberation from systems of oppression, I'm also building new ways of relating to myself and others that are not dependent on hierarchies at all, but are built on collaboration, mutuality, solidarity, and true respect for others. 
So yeah, we're doing a lot here, folks. We are doing a lot and we are adults and we can do this. We are, number one, growing our understanding of the old systems we've inherited. We're number two, doing what we can to dismantle or at the very least disrupt those old systems. And we are number three, working to create something new. We are doing all of these things at one time and it's it's actually really wonderful. It is really good really meaningful work. Don't let anybody tell you that only one of these categories of work is important because all three of them are important. It's important that we understand the old, that we dismantle and disrupt the old, and that we create something new. We've got to be about all three. So that is all for today, friends. I'm really excited about this series. I hope it is helpful for you and your life and leadership. If you want extra resources or content, you can join us on Patreon where I'll be sharing additional resources, books I'm reading, articles as they come up. Um, And you can become a member of the Diversity Gap Academy via Patreon. This week, I'm sharing my thoughts with my patrons on Black and Asian solidarity. So if you want some extra insights or opinions on race as it relates to Black and Asian solidarity, you can find us there. Otherwise, I will catch you here next week. Have a good one. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Diversity Gap Academy. To support the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review. To learn more about the Academy, visit www.thediversitygapacademy.com. And until next time, may your good intentions for diversity lead to true cultural 